Well, I suspect that uh, most of us here in the room, uh, since we've shown up on a Sunday, we've come to worship, we've come to learn together, uh, to support each other, to encourage each other. I assume that most of us in the room, we, we pray to some degree, whether that's out loud in front of people or whether it's quietly to ourselves, whether we pray in the morning when we get up, God bless my day or watch over my kids, or whether we pray, God, thank you for this meal at lunchtime, or we, or we pray every night before we lay our heads on the pillow. But I wonder when was the last time that, that we prayed some, some risky prayers, some dangerous prayers, prayers that if, if God were to, to come through, it, it could radically change um, our lives, perhaps the lives of other people. And these are the kind of prayers that we want to rediscover together over these next three weeks in this new message series simply entitled Dangerous Prayers. We're going we're gonna to look at some, some prayers like, uh, oh, the, the man that said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, well, how would it change things if we could be that honest and real before God? I am a sinner. And, and, and an honest cry for our need for mercy and then extending that same mercy to other people that we come into contact with. That's dangerous. Or maybe when David prayed, uh, Lord, give me an undivided, an undivided heart. How, what would it look like to live a life that was completely sold out? Not, not always torn between two worlds or two wants, but completely sold out to loving God and loving people with absolutely everything that we are. Lord, give me an undivided heart. And this weekend, we want to talk about another really dangerous prayer. And I want to pose to you the question, what if we prayed for our enemies? That's what Jesus calls us to do, whether we realize it or not. In the midst of one of Jesus' greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is helping give the people of that day a vision of what it really means to follow God, to follow Jesus, to to live as a member of God's kingdom. And time and time again, Jesus would say these words in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it has been said, but I'm now saying to you. And Jesus was helping the people get back to the original intent and meaning of, of God's law and and even taking it to an even deeper level, raising the bar, so to speak, when it comes to that came to their, their spiritual lives and how they lived amongst each other. And it's in this context, Jesus has just sp- finished speaking about uh, not taking revenge. And that leads us right into what he says next in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. And Jesus says these words, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those, even those that persecute you. I'm thinking about the people that first heard these words off of Jesus' lips. And they were living in a day and age where they had plenty of enemies. The political system 
was tainted. People were being oppressed. And I'm sure that when they first heard those words of Jesus, love my enemies, pray, even for those that persecute me, are you kidding, Jesus? I don't know about you, but when I think of the enemies, perhaps in my life, and I, the, the, the first thing I'm thinking is not, oh, let me just bow my head and lift them up to Jesus. I mean, let's be real. And I wonder, who are the enemies in your life? Maybe you sit here and you're like, well, I don't, it's not like I have like an arch enemy that is out to get me. I mean, there's no joker to my Batman. <laughs> you know, there's no Mich Michigan to my Ohio State, you know, no, no real rivals, no real enemies, you know. But sometimes our enemies are much more subtle, I think. Sometimes they aren't permanent, long-term enemies, but they're enemies of the moment. Enemies in the midst of the argument. Sometimes it can be, feel like our enemy is, is our spouse. When we're going head-to-head -head and not seeing eye-to-eye, -eye, not treating each other well. Or maybe it's our ex, and we just feel like it's a never-ending saga a fight over the kids. Who's got them this weekend? Can't you show us some grace? Or maybe you're a parent of a teenager, and right now it feels like your teenager, son or daughter, is the enemy. Like you just keep butting heads. Or maybe you're a teenager and you feel like it's your parents. And the parents are the enemy, and they don't get me, and they don't understand, and they, they don't know what I'm going through, and they, they're just always on me. Or maybe you're not to the teen years, but boy, you got a two-year-old or a three-year-old. I, I don't know. When people told us that, you know, the terrible twos, we got through the twos. I'm like, hey, this isn't so bad. And then threes came. Threes were way worse than twos. I mean, the independence, the attitude, the mind, the, yeah, man. Sometimes we feel like even our littlest ones, when they're waking us up in the middle of the night or when they've, yeah, feels like they're the enemy. Or maybe it's, maybe it's in your work world. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's somebody that it, it just seems like in the lunchroom, they're, they're always on edge, and, or you feel like they're always talking about you behind their back or across the, the boardroom table. You know, you bring up your idea, and it seems like inevitably they bring up theirs, and it's the exact opposite. And it's just always this, always this. Who's your enemy? And then I think, so, so what do you want to do with the enemies in your life? I just want to avoid them, give the cold shoulder, become passive aggressive. Yeah, I want to pray for them. I want to pray like, God, get them. <laughs> Revenge. Right? And yet here... In this powerful and profound sermon, Jesus is speaking to people that knew all about it. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love them. And I want you to pray for those, even those that seek to persecute you. That's dangerous. <laughs> it's dangerous and, and it's incredibly difficult. 
But Jesus, Jesus never, this is what I love about Jesus. There's no leader like Jesus. Jesus never asks people to do something that he was not willing to do himself. And Jesus, he had plenty of enemies, trust me. And he knows what he's talking about when he says, love and pray for your enemies. You read the story of Scripture, John 1.11, his own people, the Jewish nation, they rejected the Jewish Messiah, Jesus himself, and did not accept his message. John 8.6, the religious leaders of the day, they were so against Jesus. He was upsetting the apple cart of religion. They would mock him. They continually looked for ways to try to trap Jesus. Mark 3.21, his own family was ashamed of him and tried to stop him from preaching his message. In Mark 14.50, his friends, the disciples, they deserted him in his worst and weakest moments. And then I think about the city that as Jesus was paraded into town riding a donkey and everybody was shouting, Hosanna, God saves Only three days later, the same city is yelling, crucify him. So Jesus, Jesus knows what it means to have enemies. And yet, he says, love them and pray for them. Let's look at his words again for a moment. Uh, Remember what he says, you have heard that the law says. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount, he's He's referencing the law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law, and Jesus came to get at the real heartbeat of the law, the brass tacks of what it means to love God and love people. And so he references the law. He says, the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment, because the law never said that. He says, but I say to you, it's like he's saying, I know what, what you've what you've come to know and understand or what you think, how you, how you have interpreted the law and the way of God, but I'm here to declare to you that there is another way, there's a better way, there's a, there is a higher way. And that's what Jesus was calling his followers to, and that's what he's calling us to. It's interesting when he re- refers to the law, he's really referring to a Leviticus 19, verse 18, Old Testament law, which did say, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge um, against anyone among your people. Oh, man, they held on to that, among your people. We'll get to that in a minute. but But he says, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, remember, Jesus has just quoted the law, and he says, you've heard that the law says these things, but the law never said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was something that the scribes and the religious leaders of the day had added to the law. Why? Because when they read, you know, love your neighbor, the first thing that they wanted to know was, well, who's my neighbor? They were still asking that question in Jesus' day. There's a story of a, of a righteous, religious man that came before Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus references the law. He says, well, what does the law say? You know the law. You're an expert in it. What does the law say that you, you've got to do to inherit eternal life? And the man said, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, exactly, you're right. You've nailed it. And there's this interesting phrase then in, in, the, in that story. It says, and then the religious man, seeking to justify himself, asked another question. And what was the question? 
who is my neighbor? And then we read the, the story of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> See, the people of that day, they had defined neighbor as the people that were like them. My neighbor, according to them, was well, my fellow Jew, my fellow Israelite. And I, I have to love all of them, but then everybody else that's outside of Israel, everybody else that's not Jewish, well then, those people I don't have to hate. In fact, they added to the law and said, yeah, and they're, well, obviously they're not part of us, so they're our enemies, and so we should hate them. And they made it a part of their, their rule book. I love what one commentator says. Uh, practically, the duty of love was restricted to a very narrow circle, and the rest of the wide world was left out in the cold. But not only was the circumference of love's circle drawn in, but to hate an enemy was elevated almost into a duty. So much so, they considered it part of their law. That's why Jesus says, you know that the law has said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. And Jesus was taking a jab at their misinterpretation of truth and trying to realign them. So the question becomes, why should we love and pray for enemies? I'm sure they were asking that question as they first heard Jesus' words, like, Jesus, come on. We've been hating our enemies, and we thought we were doing the right thing, and now you come onto the scene and say we've got to love them, and we've got to pray for them? Give me a good reason, Jesus. What? Give us a good reason, right? Why, why would we want to? Why should we love and pray for even our enemies. And I think in the text, Jesus gives us two, at least two very compelling reasons for us to love and pray for enemies. The first one, because God gives grace to everybody. Because God gives grace to everyone. And so should we. Look at the text with me. He says, in that way, that is, when we love and pray for even those that persecute us, our enemies, he says, in that way, you will be acting as true children of who? Of your Father in heaven. And then he says these words, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. Jesus was saying, God shows love and grace to everybody. This was an agricultural society where everybody's livelihood was dependent upon their crops and their herds, and those things were utterly dependent upon the weather. They were dependent upon the sunlight. They were dependent upon the amount of rain that the crops would get. And Jesus reminds them that God doesn't just let it rain on the good people's crops. And, and God doesn't just shine some sunlight on the righteous people. But he gives his rain and he gives his sunlight to everybody. It's common grace. And one of the primary reasons we should and are called to loving and praying for our enemies is because God gives grace to everybody. Even the enemy. You know, the reality of it is, you and I, at one time, 
we were enemies. I mean, I'm not talking about you and me, unless, unless you got something against me. If you want to talk afterwards, we can take this outside right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... <laughs> no, you and I were enemies with God. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Look at it with me. It says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies. Listen, when Jesus went to the cross, God looked down the corridor of time, and I was against him. I was for me. And so were you. At birth, even, we were enemies of God. And yet, the Bible says, God sent his son to die for us. He became sin, who knew no sin. <laughs> That's what we just sang. It says, while we were still his enemies, and we will certainly be saved through the life of his son, Jesus. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because even though we were once enemies, our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Why should we offer love and prayer for our enemies? Because God offered you and me love and grace when we were his enemies. How can we receive that kind of love and grace? and not extend it to others. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's the first and most primary reason why we are called to love and to pray for our enemies. But there's a second reason. A second reason why we should love and pray our enemies is because it shows that we are different. And different is dangerous in the best of ways. Look at what Jesus says. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In, in other words, he's saying, when we as followers of God, uh, followers of Jesus, love and pray for our enemies, we're acting like our Father in heaven. We're reflecting him well. He says you'll be acting as true children. The word there is as legitimate children. You know, sometimes things happen in people's lives, and you know, you, you may find a a, a, a woman that, that's had a child and she's uncertain of who the, the father is. And so what do they do? They do a paternity test. They, they test the DNA so that they know whose child it really is. And what Jesus is saying here is that the real paternity test, the real DNA test of a true child of God is love. Even love... <laughs> For those that persecute us, for even love for those who are against us, love for our enemies. Love is what makes the difference. It's not, you know, the Bible says the Christians, they'll be known by their beliefs. No, it doesn't say that. The Christians, oh, they'll be known by their church attendance. No, it doesn't say that either. It says those who are Christians will be known by their love. And love for the worst of the worst. Love for those that don't love you back. Because that's Jesus' kind of love. He offers grace to all. And, and when we love his way, it shows that we are different. It shows that we are legitimate. Legitimate followers of Jesus. True children of God. Because we've been touched by his love. 
And that love is now flowing through our lives in a whole new way. It shows that we're different. And, and Jesus continues to expound on this in the text. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, and let's keep reading. It says, if you love, Jesus said, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? It's like he's saying, he's almost implying that there is a reward for, for loving your enemies and praying for your enemies. But he says, if you love only those that can love you back, what reward is there for that? He says, even tax collectors, corrupt tax collectors, he says, which I don't know if there was any other kind. They pretty much were all corrupted in that, in that day and age. Maybe in this day and age. Right? And even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind, he says, if you, are, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anybody else? He goes, even pagans do that. Jesus was saying, I mean, out of all the people that lived in that day, the lowest of the low, the people that were judged the most by the religious elite were the tax collectors, the sinners, the pagans. And here Jesus says this. He says, hey, everybody, this just in. If you're just showing love and kindness to your friends and to those that can love you back, you're no better than the pagans and you're no better than the most corrupt tax collectors. You're no different. He's saying what makes you different what sets you apart, that's what he says in verse 48, but you are to be perfect, set apart, complete, mature. He says, what, you're, you're to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect because you're reflecting this incredible love and patience of God himself that he's had for you and that he extends to other people through you. That's the difference maker when you can love and pray for your enemies. That begs the question, okay, so even if I'm starting to realize, perhaps feeling convicted, like, okay, yeah, this is, this is hard. I've not done this. I'm not, man, I'm not, I'm not daily praying for my enemies. And even if now we're, we're becoming challenged in our spirits, like, okay, I got to start looking at this different. I mean, Jesus said, you've heard the law says this, but I'm saying to you, the question is, are we listening? Are we willing to listen to what Jesus has to say and not just listen, but then do what he says? Well, then, then what, what should I pray for my enemy? Like I said, I know what I want to pray. Get him, God. I like some of those Old Testament imprecatory prayers like, God, rain down fire from heaven on them. Like, God, smash their teeth. I mean, these, are, these are actually Old Testament prayers. They're in there. Trust me. Like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> Remember Jesus, he's showing a whole new way. And we don't have to pray for that kind of revenge and justice on them because Jesus already took that revenge and justice when he went through the cross. And he's calling us to a higher way. Shows that we're different. So, so what are these dangerous prayers? I want to give you three that I see in this passage. Three dangerous prayers when it comes to our enemies. The first one, God bless them. Not like, not like when your two-year-old comes walking out of the kitchen with a marker and you see the wall. <laughs> like, oh, God bless you. <laughs> or you say, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> no, but God 
bless them. Look at the text. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. The King James Version expands this, and it really gives a better picture of the original words that are used in the original language. It says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Like, what? Are you kidding me? You know, it's interesting. The word bless there is where we get our English word eulogy or eulogize. You know, this past week, we lost a really significant man in this community, Scott Ford. And I was here on Friday for the funeral, and I heard, I mean, story after story of people's lives that he touched. I mean, you want to talk about a eulogy. And I read the, the article in the Reflector about his life. I was just in awe. Like, I didn't know all this stuff about him. What a man. He was, he was spoken so well of, so highly of. He was eulogized. That same word is the word that Jesus uses here. He says, eulogize those that curse you. And that's a ridiculous kind of love and grace. He said, they curse you, you get them back. You know how? Eulogize them. Bless them. Speak well of them to others. And most of all, speak well of them right to God. Paul reiterates this in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Instead, pray that God will bless them. That is a dangerous prayer. You know what, God, that enemy that I'm thinking of, man, that teenage son or daughter that we have just been butting heads time and time again, God, I want to ask you to bless them. God, my ex, I'm asking you right now to bless their life. Like, oh, that's dangerous. Like, what if God actually answers it and God blesses them? And now I'm more angry than before. Right? Because I want to get even. I want revenge. That's what all of us, that's what all of us wrestle with and feel. And yet Jesus, man, he is just challenging us. He is elevating what his kind of love in this world looks like. He says, pray that God will bless them. Not only that, I, I love what the, the one commentator says. We cannot hate a man if we pray for him. And we cannot pray for him if we hate him. This is why love and prayer go together. They go hand in hand when it comes to our enemies. You say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't love my enemy. Well, start praying for him or her. Because when you really start to pray for somebody, I'm telling you, it changes your heart. Or you say, well, I really can't pray for him. Well, then show him love. And God may move your heart by your obedience and help you gain a heart of prayer for them. It says, we cannot hate a man if we pray for him. We cannot pray for him if we hate him. Our weakness often feels it so hard not to hate our enemies that our only way to get strength, to keep this highest commandment, is to begin by trying to pray for our foe. And then gradually, he says, feel the infernal fires dying down in our temper and come to be able to meet his evil with good and his curses with blessings. This is what Jesus is calling us towards. This is not easy. This is dangerous, though. It's risky. But it could change everything. A, th a third prayer. God, help me serve them. God, 
Bless them and God help me serve them. He says, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you. What if we pray, God, give me an opportunity to serve my enemies? You say, well, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it is. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, I didn't come to serve, to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for many, including my enemies. God, help me to serve them. Paul reiterates this, and he's quoting both from the book of Leviticus and from the book of Proverbs here. He says, listen, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. And look at what he says. In doing this, oh, you'll get some revenge, but it's redemptive revenge. (laughs) He says, in doing this, you'll, you'll heap burning coals of shame upon their heads. When we kill them with kindness... They'll be embarrassed for what they've done and the way that they've treated us in the past because we don't react the way that they've acted. It's it's a whole different way. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil in doing good. God, help me to serve them, to show kindness to them, to put their needs before my own. That's radical. Uh, Hubert Humphrey was a vice president of our nation. And when he passed away, as is custom, all the past presidents are welcome, invited to, to, the, to the funeral. But on this occasion, one particular president was not invited to the funeral. It was Richard Nixon. Because Richard Nixon had dragged our country through the Watergate scandal and lost his, his, his name. And, and he was in many ways considered the enemy well, Jimmy Carter of, at the time, who, who was also one of our presidents and of the opposing party, might I say, to Richard Nixon, walked into the funeral and he, out of the corner of his eye, as he got ready to sit down, noticed Richard Nixon standing alone at the very back of the room. And Jimmy Carter got back up and walked to the back of the room, and Newsweek was there and captured the image and heard the words, and Jimmy Carter of the opposing political party approaches Richard Nixon, and he says these words, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. Newsweek said that was a radical turning point. In U.S. history, it was, a, it was a huge turning point, trust me, in the life of Richard Nixon. But for our country as a whole, because one man from the opposing party was willing to show kindness, was willing to extend grace, because we all need that. And so do our enemies. So Jesus challenges us, God Pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would use you to serve them. And finally, the most dangerous prayer of all. God, forgive them. These were Jesus, some of Jesus' very last words. Literally, when you read the Gospels, we see Jesus' hands and feet being nailed with giant metal nails to an old wooden cross. And as Jesus is being punished, 
as people are pounding the nails through his hands and feet. Jesus utters this prayer. Father, forgive them for they don't understand what they're doing. And they may not have understood that he, he was the Son of God, the Most High, that he really was the Messiah, the Savior, but they knew he was a human being. They knew that he was innocent. And they knew they were taking his life. But Jesus says, forgive them. Forgive them. What would happen? What would happen if we let go of the bitterness and the anger and the hurt that we have because of some of the enemies in our life? And instead of getting even, we pray, God bless them. God, help me to be more like you. Help me to serve them. And most dangerous of all, God, forgive them. I wonder who your enemy is. I remember an enemy when I was going to college. And I was sitting in a New Testament survey class, and some of these words of Jesus were put before us about loving and praying for even our enemies. I have two sisters. One's just two years younger than me, and the other one is 12 years younger than me. And my youngest sister, I found out while I was at college, had been sexually molested by my other sister's boyfriend. And he was my enemy. All I wanted to do was leave college and go home and crush him. And I was wrestling with all this anger and bitterness and rage. And my, my Bible professor shares these words of Jesus, and I remember after class going up to him saying, how? How do I, I cannot forgive him. And he said some words to me that challenged me to this day. He said, Todd, when Jesus went to the cross, you believe that he took your sins there, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, Todd, do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross that he took your sins there so that you could have forgiveness, so that you could be freed from your sins, so that you could have the hope of eternal life? I said, yeah, I believe that. My sister Jody, her boyfriend's name was Rob. He's the one that did it to Sarah. He said, do you believe that when Jesus died on that cross, that as the nails went into his hands and feet, that he died for Rob's sins too? And I didn't want to admit it, but I knew the answer was yes, he did. And how could I not show forgiveness when Jesus had died for my sins too? Yeah, my, my sins in my mind at least were, were far from his. But his were his and mine were mine. And we're all guilty. But for the grace of God. So I want us to think as we close our service today, who's your enemy? And when you came in, you received a, in your worship program, there's some index cards. There should be two in every one. So if somebody didn't get a worship program, then share it with a neighbor. And here's what I want to 
challenge us to do is to just write down on that index card the name of whoever that enemy is in your life. Might be something present, it might be something far from the past, but you've been carrying around angst and frustration, and and it's time, it's time to be freed of that. In that moment, as I came before my professor, I finally came to a place where I could pray and say, God, forgive Rob. God, help me to serve him. And I was finally set free. There's consequences. We're not best friends. But I'm no longer bound by that anger and that unforgiveness. And you don't have to leave this place bound either. And so Jeremy's gonna sing. We're gonna sing one last song together. And if you're at a place where you realize, man, I've got to give this to Jesus. I need to pray, God bless my enemy. God, help me serve my enemy. God, help me to forgive my enemy. And God, you forgive them then I'm going to invite you to come forward whenever you're ready and to just place those names in the baskets here as a symbol of our bringing our enemies to the feet of Jesus, who died for us, but who also died for them. God bless you guys as you come.